We're going to read from Genesis chapter 44. I'm starting a, um, we're going to have a conversation over the next few weeks and months, actually, about living your life on full. And, and if you've been coming to church here very long, you know I'm not the, here's three steps to make you a, you know, a nicer person. Some of you, that's not going to help. Um, you need Jesus. And then we can deal with the steps after that. The New Testament, even the Old Testament, encourage us, encourages us to live full of God and full of his things to the point where it just doesn't benefit us, but it benefits the people around us. That, that there's a fullness to our life that is so full it overflows into other people around us. Amen? And so when you look at, when you look at um, things like the Passover meal and when you look at different traditions that the Israelites had, they, they thought this way, they lived this way. The idea, of, the idea of being so full that it overflows the cup. We'll read from Psalm 23 here in a little bit and you'll recognize where that comes from. But we did a thing a couple of weeks ago before Easter on our Good Friday service, we talked about the cups. And it's, it's common in a Seder meal, like the Passover meal, for them to pour the cup, I don't know if the thing's up there, yeah, to pour the cup until it overflows out into the saucer, indicating that, that God, you've given us more than enough in every aspect of our lives to pour out into other people. And so we're gonna start having this conversation today about what it looks like to live full enough to pour out into other people because can I be transparent, really honest with you? Our society today is dealing, I would venture to say 85, 90% of people are running around half empty. So what does that look like in the church? Do we just... Do we just mirror our, our environment? Do we just mirror our culture and we're running around frantic as everybody? I don't know if I made it today. Or are we full enough of the Holy Spirit? Are we full enough of God's goodness and peace? Full enough of salvation to then pour out into a lost and dying, and by the way, frantic world. So we're gonna start that today. We're gonna go all the way back to Genesis. Talk about Joseph. So Genesis chapter 44, we'll start in verse one. Why don't you stand to your feet and honor the word. And we'll read through this. Genesis chapter 44, starting in verse one. Say amen if you're ready. Then he commanded the steward of the house, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry. Put each man's money in the mouth of a sack and put my cup, the silver cup in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him, as soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, up, follow after the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that the Lord, my Lord drinks and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, 
Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from the Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die. And we also will be my Lord's servants. He said, let it be as you say. He, he who is found with it shall be my servant and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground. Each man opened his sack and he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes and every man loaded his donkey and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you've done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, far be it from me that I should do do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as far as you go up in peace to your father. Then Judah went up and said to him, oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears and let not your anger burn against your servant. For you're like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant saying, have you a father or a brother? And he... And we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead and he alone is left of his mother's children and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I might set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. Then we're going to skip to chapter 45. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold in this Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Father, we thank you today. We pray that your cup of salvation would be made known to us this morning. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross. Thank you that it's already been taken care of. And so, Lord, I, I pray as we look into your word that there be a sense from your spirit that we'd partake of the cup of salvation this morning. For those that already know you, Lord, that we'd remember and for those that have yet to meet you, Lord, there'd be a, a great introduction. We thank you for it today. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. So the cup in Jewish life is a very powerful symbol. During the Passover meal, there's four cups that represent 
sanctification, deliverance, redemption, and restoration. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, if you were here at the Good Friday service, you would have heard this, would celebrate the Passover, and with the third cup, he'd make a new covenant with the disciples. We talked about how how mirrored a, a marriage covenant. I told you already how as a symbol to, to overfill the cup was a symbol of blessing that would pour out from your life. The cup in scripture, though, is also a symbol of wrath. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, would pray in the Garden of Gethsemane that if it were possible, that the Father would remove the cup from him. But he would ultimately pray, not my will, but yours be done. Joseph in this story in Genesis is using a cup to trap his brothers. Now there's a couple of things about this story. If you're new, if you're new to Genesis, the book of Genesis, we get to the, we get to, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. He had 12 boys. The youngest was Joseph and, um, the 12 tribes of Israel and Joseph was favored. He had a coat of many colors. He was the, he was the brat. I don't know if he's a brat or not, but to his brothers, he was. His brothers come up with a scheme. They're just sick of him. He has a few dreams that he maybe, um, maybe in his youth and in his zeal tells too many people what he's dreaming and it's offensive. He's basically saying, I'm going to the dreams are about him ruling over everybody. If you were the youngest brother, you may know what that feels like. So the brothers think about killing him. He's got a brother named Judah who decides, hey, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him. We can sell him to uh, slave traders and, and then the blood's not on our hands. We can just get away with it. They fake his death, take some bloody clothes back to his father and they, um, and they, they basically say, Hey dad, he's dead. He's dead. He's gone. You read through the book of Genesis and you find out that Joseph, uh, ends up going through a series of very long events until uh, that are, that are, he's mistreated, forgotten about, lied about the whole nine yards. We won't go into that. You can read it until we get to, to a point where where the Pharaoh, the, the leader of Egypt, has a dream and can't interpret the dream. Nobody around them can interpret the dream. Somebody remembers that Joseph was in prison and could interpret dreams. So they bring him up before Pharaoh, and Joseph says, hey, I'm going to tell you what this means. Well, God is going to tell you what this means. You're going to have seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. It's getting ready to be really, really good for seven years and really, really bad for seven years. Anybody remember 2008? Is it really, really good for a few years before that? Is it really, really bad after that? So he's, he's basically saying, hey, God is giving you an, a window into what's going to happen. And then Joseph says, here's what you should do. You should store up for seven years. Store up enough food for seven years. Doesn't that make sense? It's like Joseph was the first Dave Ramsey. You got to have your emergency fund, Pharaoh. So he says, store up for seven years. And then when the famine comes, you'll be sustained by what you store up. 
So when the refrigerator breaks, you'll have money to buy a refrigerator. So what, what happens in the circumstances is, is in Pharaoh says, okay, you're in charge. There's nobody else except me that's over you in Egypt. So he takes a prisoner and puts him essentially over the whole kingdom. So I tend to, I, I tend to not get down on my current position because I know God can promote me no matter what. Amen. So if you're in a circumstance where you don't think you're getting recognized enough or you're, you're being promoted as fast, just settle down, do the right thing, trust God because he can promote you from anywhere. Amen. So he gets promoted seven years of good. And Joseph is faithful to store up, 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 store up. Now the famine starts and Egypt has enough grain for everyone. So what starts happening is people from all over start coming and they start selling things to Egypt for grain. So Egypt ends up owning everything. If you save up in the good times, you'll own everything in the bad times. I didn't realize this was going to be such a financial sermon. So what happens is, unbeknownst to Joseph's brothers or his father, he's running the whole show. So guess what? They become in need and have to go to Egypt in order to get sustenance. They have to get food. And so they have to go to Egypt. Joseph finds out they're there and he starts having these interactions with them. They don't know he's Joseph. He's been in Egypt long enough, away from them long enough, that they don't recognize him anymore. There's there's no, no story that you can make up that they would ever imagine that the brother they sold into slavery would now be running the country. It's as far from their minds as possible. So now with Joseph in his Egyptian garb, and, and whatever he looks like now as a grown man, they have no inkling that he is who he is. And Joseph is unwilling to reveal himself to him immediately. Then we get to chapter 44. Joseph, if you read before that, is trying to get them to bring their younger brother, Benjamin, and then he's trying to get them to bring the, older, the, the father to him. He wants them all there, and they're very hesitant. They're like, no, 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 we can't, like our father's already lost the son. We can't take the youngest Benjamin now. We can't take him from the father. He'll just, just lay down and die. And so Joseph keeps pushing and keeps pushing and keeps pushing. And, and, he's, and he's trying to set up this circumstance without revealing himself of how to get his father there. That's when we get into chapter 44. Joseph takes his cup. He had supplied them with a bunch of grain. He supplied them with a bunch of money, all this stuff. And he tells his servant, hey, in the youngest son's bag, put my silver cup in there. He's setting them up. Put the cup in. The cup is symbolic. We'll get to that in a second. Puts his cup in there. The next morning, they go riding out. And Joseph sends his servant out and he stops him. He says, hey, what do you guys think you're doing? And they genuinely have no idea what he's talking about. They're going, I don't know what you're, what are you talking about? He says, what do you think you're doing stealing from Joseph? Well, he didn't say Joseph. What do you think you're doing stealing from him? And they, 
We have no idea. So they make this boisterous claim. Hey, whoever took it deserves to die. By the way, be very careful how many proclamations you make over your life. That's not good. So the servant says, no, we'll just dig through it. And whoever has it, that person will suffer. I don't need all of you being servant, just that person. So they start digging through the bag, digging through the bag. Starts with the oldest, goes to the youngest. When you get to Benjamin, the youngest now, pulls a cup out. I mean, this would be a good movie. Pulls a cup out. All of them. We can't believe this is happening. Now, what you have to remember is if this was a movie, there'd be a flashback. There'd be a flashback to the brothers going, going to Israel and handing them Joseph's bloody clothes and saying, your son's dead. And then it would flip back forward and you'd, you get Judah in his mind thinking, I have to go back to my father now and tell him his, now his youngest son again is dead. I mean, this is a high pressure moment. So Judah, Judah, when they get back in front of Pharaoh, or when they get back in front of Joseph, they still don't know who he is. When they get back in front of Joseph, Judah goes to him and says, listen, we have been found out. Now he doesn't get specific, but he says the guilt, our guilt has made its way. He's not just confessing the cup. He's saying, God has found us out. We're guilty. We're guilty. This is a tricky subject in modern culture, even in church. The idea of guilt. Nobody likes to be guilty. Matter of fact, we do a really good job. We do a better job of being defensive than guilty. Amen? Anybody, anybody ever managed anybody in the building? You got to sit them down for a review and you go, hey, this, no, 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 I didn't know. It was Susie. It's like in the office, the bus is always in reverse. You know what I'm saying? Boop, boop, dum, dum. No, that was her fault. It was his fault. We become a defensive culture. So whenever there's guilt, we become a defensive culture. No, it wasn't my fault. It was their fault. It was all their fault. God gave me these kids. Technically, that may be true. Biologically, you're not Mary. Scripture is clear that we, that there comes a time where we need to own our guilt I was prepared for there not to be an amen there, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with it. You see the cup, Joseph's cup. Fast forward, the cup of salvation. It reveals and should reveal guilt in our life. Jesus never saved somebody that wasn't guilty. Amen? It should reveal guilt in our life. Joseph Joseph has a servant put it in Benjamin's pack and they, and they go off 
And what happens? The cup reveals not only their, not only the current guilt of taking the cup, but it reveals the guilt they've been dealing with for decades. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. And Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? Now Joseph is playing up the Egyptian. They had no idea he was an Israelite. They had no idea he was their brother. And he, and he was saying, hey, listen, if you thought I knew divination, would you be this dumb? And that's when it gets them. And Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Well, I don't know what to say to you. Or how can we clear ourselves? Watch this statement right here. God has found out the guilt of your servants. Not just Benjamin. It was only, the cup was only in Benjamin's bag. But now Judah is standing before him. Because remember, all of them except Benjamin was there when they sold Joseph into slavery. He's saying, God found us out. God found us out. We never, we never thought. How many of you thought you got away with something? Oh, man. There is a, how do I want to say it? There can be, there can be relief when we think we got away with it. True? Okay, you guys on this side are pretty righteous, it seems like. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over here because everybody over here is like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? Getting away with it. We're honest. Everybody over here, you with me? Feels good when you get away with it every now and then, doesn't it? Come on, help me out. It feels like every, like five years have gone by and you're like, I ain't telling her now. There's nothing. I got nothing to tell you. But we can get away with it to, to, to the point where we forget about it, where, where, where it's like, oh, well, that happened back then. I didn't, so I can assure you that, the, that these brothers had thought they got away with it until all this stuff came together. Can you th- imagine the pressure all of a sudden? Are you kidding me? We could have to go back to our dad and tell him Benjamin's not coming back. Two weeks ago, they would have never fathomed saying that. Now they're standing in front of Joseph and he's going, you, did you think I didn't know? He's playing up the Egyptian part. If you, th- I, I can do this divination thing. And Judah says, we're guilty. We're guilty. We are guilty. What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. By the way, God has always known our guilt. He didn't just find out. Both we and he also whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, far be it for me that I should do so. Only the man, this is Joseph, only the man whose hands the cup has been found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up to your father in peace. Ha <laughs> ha. He just put them in another bad circumstance. No, 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 just go home. And they're freaking out at this point in time. I absolutely 100% believe that guilt should always be a precursor to salvation. Amen? Do you believe that today? We like to skirt around this. 
We're like, I don't think you should be guilty after you've been set free, but I think you should feel guilty before you get set free. Amen? Because without guilt, why would we be saved? And this is the problem with the church. The modern day church says, sprinkle a little Jesus in there like some, like some sugar and it'll make your life better. Scripture tells us we're guilty and going to hell. We don't need a sprinkling of Jesus. We need, we need him to reconfigure us. We need to be born again. We need to be made new. We don't need an addition to, we need a, a, a whole restructuring of ourselves. So that the old passes away and all things become new. Guilt should drive us to the cross because that's where we find freedom. And if we preach a guilt-free gospel, nobody goes to the cross. Because the cross is not just to make everything pretty in your life. The cross is not just to make everything nice. The cross isn't just there to make everybody get along. The cross isn't there just to make everything go well in the next week. The cross is there to redeem us, to set us free so that no matter what happens, we are still free. Amen. So the cup drove him. The cup drove the brothers to salvation. Now I need to get into this Uh, Just a little side note. Joseph is what we call a type of Christ. It's like a foreshadowing. It's like an image of what Christ will be like. Because Pharaoh appoints Joseph as the one sole person that will save all the people. Joseph, you've got the idea. Now you're appointed to make this thing happen and be salvation to everybody that would come. Everybody that would come. So here's the kicker. If you ran out of food, you did not have to go to Egypt. But if you wanted to eat, you had to go to Egypt. Are you hearing me? So through Joseph, everyone was saved. Now are you putting the picture together? Now he's, a, he's not Jesus. He's a type. He's a foreshadow. He's, a, he's, he's one that looked like Jesus before Jesus came. God was giving us a picture of what it would look like. And so now Joseph takes the cup and puts it in the bag and now the cup drives them back. The cup of salvation should reveal guilt in our life. It doesn't do away with the law. God gave Moses the law in the Old Testament says these are, this is the law, man. This is what God expects. This is the, this is the criteria to be saved. And what we figure out, nobody can do it. Nobody can be perfect. And then we find out in the New Testament that Jesus did not come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. It's still the requirement, but now there's salvation added to it through Christ. Amen? So what we find out is that the cup of salvation doesn't nullify the law. No, it actually says you need saved because you're not good enough. Amen? So if I don't come to the place where I'm guilty of what I've done, can we just all be a little bit transparent? You did enough to need saved. Amen. And you didn't need any help. That's a fact. Here's what I know about you and me. If we were on an isolated island all by ourselves with no interaction, I don't care the old, what's his name? With, with the, with the soccer ball. 
I don't care if you're a castaway with a soccer ball. You will sin. I can guarantee it. You will find a way to sin with a soccer ball. It doesn't matter because we were born into sin. And so what the cup shows us is that there's salvation available. And people that don't need saved don't need a cup. Because salvation is available reveals the fact that there's guilt in our lives. Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. Listen to this. And Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Isn't that a cool scenario? Jesus is kicking it with tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees saw this, the religious people saw it. And they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? (laughs) But when he heard it, Jesus, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician. You know how insurance works, right? You go to the doctor and then the insurance pays for it. Well, I mean, that's the scheme anyway. That's what we're hoping for. They're like, yeah, we got you. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Even though I have insurance, I don't go to the doctor unless... Yeah. Yeah, that seems kind of normal, right? Now, I may go for a once a month, not, not once a month, once every six months, and I may skip that one. I don't show up to the doctor's office every week going, hey, man, just here, just want to check, hang out. Jesus is putting, using something that we all understand. Healthy people don't regularly go to a doctor. They don't go every week. But if you had cancer, you'd show up every day if you were able to. Get this thing fixed. And the problem with the church is, even all the way back to Jesus' time, the religious people didn't have no need of a doctor. Mm. I did start learning this. If I would go every six months, it would be more likely that he would catch high cholesterol before I had a heart attack. But if I live my whole life and said, I don't need a doctor, when I find out, it might be too late. Jesus is teaching a very important lesson here to Pharisees. If you don't think you need a doctor, good for you. Try it on your own. Try it on your own. And he ain't talking about essential oils. He's not talking about that. That ain't what he's talking about. He's talking about vitamins. He's saying those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick. And then verse 13, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He came to call not the righteous, but sinners. What's that tell me? That the cup of salvation reveals who we are. When salvation walks in the room, do you feel righteous or sinful? When salvation walked in the room, the Pharisees felt righteous. But Matthew and the tax collector said, looks like we need some salvation in here. The cup reveals guilt in our lives. 
And it's, it's on purpose. The cup in Benjamin's sack pushed them back to salvation. It pushed them back to Joseph. It was meant to do that. Joseph put it in there on purpose. He put it in Benjamin's bag and he told his servant, you go find it and drive him right back to me. Because he didn't want him going. And the cup still does that today to you and me. We're so afraid of being guilty. And it's the one thing that drives us to the cross. And Jesus today is putting the cup in our bag symbolically going, come back to the cross where you can get freedom from that thing, where you can get free, where you can be at peace, where you can be saved. And we run from it with everything that we have. So if we're guilty, if the cup drives us back, then it has to also offer salvation. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Boy, that would have been a revelation. And they came near and he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, who you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. Jesus out of his own mouth would say, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. The cup offers us salvation. The cup forced the brothers back to Joseph to ultimately confess their sin and be saved by their brother. The cup of salvation is available to everyone here in this room, listening online, in Berkeley Springs, in New Hampshire. It's available regardless of what you have done. If you are full of guilt right now, you are in the right place for a savior. You're in the right place for a savior. Just as no one else could provide food for Israel and his family, no one and nothing else can provide salvation for us. Jesus is the only way. John 14, 6, Jesus answered to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As we talked about on Good Friday, Jesus drank of the cup of salvation at the Last Supper and presented it as a new covenant in his blood. It was a wedding statement that was, that was making a permanent covenant with all those who would believe. He would tell the disciples, I'll be with you always. I'm coming back. I've prepared a place for you. He's saying, I am saving you and it is complete. It is eternal. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. This is a permanent salvation. Jesus was offering the cup to the disciples as the one and only one who could keep the covenant of salvation. And he would go to the cross and die in order to save them. And that's available to you this morning. Money can't fix guilt. Sex can't fix guilt. Relationships can't fix guilt. Counselors can't fix guilt. They can tell you why it's there. They can't fix it. Medication can't fix guilt. Guilt is there to drive us to Jesus. To drive us to Jesus. And what I need you to believe this morning is that a cup is more than enough. It's not Jesus and this, it's Jesus. He's enough. Amen. Here's the truth. Joseph was not only able to save his immediate family, but everyone in the land. 
Genesis 41, verse 56. So when the famine had spread all over the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe and over all the earth. There was an abundance in Joseph. There's an abundance today in Jesus. He didn't just save you from the guilt of yesterday. He could save you from the guilt of tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And trust me, you'll probably screw it up in 10 years. And his salvation is enough to fix that guilt as well. It's enough. By the way, it's more than enough. So he didn't just pour the cup full. He pour the cup, he pours the cup to overflowing. So now we get to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Come on, you know this. I shall not want. Why? Because he's enough. He's more than enough. He makes me lie down in green pastures. and leads me beside still waters. He what? When you're guilty, he restores you. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Once he restores you, now he's leading you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Remember I told you? You may still walk through it. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Help me out here. My cup. God never intended to save you and then give you a scarcity mentality. He said, in the deepest, darkest times of your life, I'll give you more than enough. I'll be more than enough for you. David said, in the darkest times of my life, I looked down and the cup was still running over with salvation. It was still splashing out. It was still coming out the sides. It was still, we weren't pouring half a cup. We were pouring it all the way up. The thing that should pour out of us in abundance is salvation. If I have gotten hope and freedom and salvation for my guilt, why shouldn't that be the outpouring of my life? Stand to your feet. The band's going to come up. I want to leave you with this. We read the 23rd Psalm. David would later write in Psalm 116, verse 12. What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? Now remember, Psalm 23. Even if I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. He prepares a table before me for my enemies and, and he guides me with his rod and staff, all that stuff. And he says, my cup overflows in every circumstance in my life. He's enough. Now in Psalm 116, he goes back and he says, what will I give him for flowing his cup over? For all of his benefits to me. David wasn't walking around with a cup half full. He wasn't trying to guess, is it half full or half empty? Can the church get over the half full, half empty thing? Because when it's overflowing, there's no question whether we're optimists or not. Amen? It's like, well, is it half full or half empty? I don't know, you spilled it all on the floor. I guess we got enough. Because we keep dumping it out. The world has to look into a group of people who claim they believe Jesus 
And we annihilate the discussion of whether we're pessimists or optimists. And we say, it's always running over. There's, there's no question of whether he's enough for me because it's always running over. Salvation is always running over. It's always more than I need. It's Jesus didn't die on the cross just to barely save you from that addiction. He came to set you absolutely free for eternity. It's more than enough. So he says, what shall I render the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift, listen to this, verse 13. Did you read it already? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I'll lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. You know what David was saying then? I'll tell everybody how he saved me. It was more than enough for me and I'll proclaim and I'll lift up the cup of salvation. I'll say, listen, he has delivered me. You remember when I wrote that one song about even though I walked through the valley of shadow death, remember that was the number one hit? Remember when I wrote that and it made the top billboard charts? Remember when I wrote that thing and it was all over pop culture? I'm still here and it's more than enough. And I'm proclaiming it. Do you know why the world doesn't believe? Is because we have lost the idea of proclaiming what he's given us in abundance. We've settled for self-help programs and three steps and 12, all these things. And we go, well, you know, we're just as messed up as you are. That's not true. The message of the church should be, he's more than enough. My cup overflows. How do you figure that? Because he set me free. I've been guilty. I know what it's like to be guilty. I know what it's like to be guilty, guilty, guilty. I know what it's like to be guilty. I know what it's like to pray you don't get caught. Anybody else? Pray you don't, you knew your parents were going to wear you out. You knew your wife was going to wear you out. But I'm free. And it's more than enough. And what am I going to give him in return? I'm going to lift up the cup of salvation in the presence of everyone. Lord, you've been more than enough for me. You're more than enough for everybody in the room. And you're more than enough for everybody I run into in the week. Amen. Because listen to me really quick. I need you to understand this. Nothing else will work. Nothing else will work. You may be able to talk people into good financial moves. You may be able to give them a couple snippets about marriage. You may be able to give them a couple good things about their kids. And you may be able to give them advice about a job. But nothing else on this planet will remove the guilt. And the guilt always drives us to death. If we leave it alone and don't let God fix it, it will kill us all. And it's unnecessary. So now we have a moment where we can say, Lord, we accept it. And in turn, we will proclaim it to everybody. We accept it this morning, Lord. And because of all that you've given us, we'll lift up that same cup to everybody. Because that's what the world needs. They need to be free from it. Not just forget about it. Not just deal with it, but be free from it. Amen? So all across the building, I want you to close your eyes. I need you to seriously contemplate this this morning. If you walked in here full of guilt, God got your number before you woke up this morning. God got your number in the middle of last week. And if you walked in here full of guilt and you're sick of dealing with it, you're sick of, you're sick of carrying the weight around, there's freedom for you this morning. 
There is absolute 100% freedom for you this morning. The cup of salvation is being offered to you on a platter, overflowing enough for anything and everything you have ever done. And he wants to, he, with everything that he is, he wants to set you free this morning. Don't walk past this circumstance. Don't walk past this opportunity, but accept it. And if all you know how to say is, Lord, I'm guilty and I need your help, that's enough. That's enough. I need you to save me this morning in Jesus' name. Come on, just say that out loud. I need you to save me this morning and remove the guilt from my life. I need to be made new. I need to be made whole. And I just realized that you're enough to do all that. Amen? Church, can we thank him this morning for what he's doing? Come on, if you made that profession of faith, but I'd love for you to let me know, let a staff member know. Father, I pray that you seal them today, this morning, that they've been set free, delivered. Lord, we thank you for what you and only you can do. And now today we walk out, Lord, whole, free, at peace, and empowered by you. And we lift up this cup of salvation in public today. In Jesus' name.